Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. We have a great show for you today. Let's get to a quick preview. First, a house of horrors. The government files their response in the Alec Murdoch case. Uh, this guy is a real catch. All you ladies should really want to get him. <laughs> I'm joking. Be aware of those who want to be near your children. An example of a technique to uh, stop police, a technique. Uh, an example of, I guess, Jeffrey Dahmer light, and then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, aficionados. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, hit that little bell for notifications, and remember you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. So I hope you are having a great day, not just a good day. And I can tell you, I am having a wonderful day. What happened? Well, I got news first thing this morning that a homicide case, a first degree murder case that we tried uh, several years ago, got reversed on appeal today. Yes. And you say, yes, why Scott? Yes, because, well, even everybody recognized it. It wasn't a homicide case and the judge refused to give the appropriate instruction to the jury. As I always tell the judge, judge, cases don't come back when you give the instructions that the defense requests and the jury considers them and then, you know, usually finds your client guilty. But then the issue has gone away. The judge did not uh, grant us the instruction that we requested and the Court of Appeals says, do over. And why is that significant? Oh, that's right. Yeah. The client was serving a 96 year sentence. Then on top of that, what's even better is... Uh, they called me and said that the uh, car that I was looking for had arrived. So it has been a good day. Let's just take it from there. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for Thursday, October 20th, 2022. There it is right there. All right, our first case, House of Horrors. Okay, we're going to call this a House of Horrors, but I tell you, I had the first House of Horrors. All right, this is a little snippet from an article about the case that I had years ago. The children, a girl and a boy, were left by their mother in the Torres home in the mid-1990s and were repeatedly assaulted sexually in the home even though the mother knew of the abuse. The children, who are now in their 20s, were able to report the abuse after escaping the home in 2008. Yes, true house of horrors. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget seeing the detective listening to the story, literally thinking, this can't be true. And then it all started falling in place. Yeah, it was bad. One of the worst cases I've ever seen. Anyway, let's get to today's docket. Two 16-year-old twins escaped from their abusive mother and her boyfriend, who were handcuffed, bound, and forced them to drink their own urine while the mother was in their $600,000 Texas house of horrors. That's right. The uh, breakout was caught via a ring doorbell camera footage that saw the twins, who have not been named, run from their Houston home Tuesday in an attempt to get somebody to call the police. The boy wasn't wearing a shirt, and both of the siblings were barefoot. This was according to the neighbor, who eventually let the pair inside of their home. Now, the kids told police that their mother and her boyfriend had left them in a room and forced them to eat and drink their own waste, refusing to let them use the toilet. The woman who found them added that they would only feed them with a sandwich, only if they were quiet the whole day, and if they made any type of noise, they wouldn't be fed. 
Um, obviously, how a mother could do this makes you really kind of wonder what's going on in the world. Uh, the neighbor described him, stating that they were so skinny and frail, they just looked like they had been through a lot. Uh, the neighbor stated that the twins said that their mom kept them locked in the laundry room, naked, zip-tied from their ankles and the handcuffed on the wrists. And you can see there's pictures of uh, looks would corroborate uh, those allegations. Anyway, while the Louisiana State Police tracked down their mother, 40-year-old Zykea Duncan, and her boyfriend, 27-year-old Jova Terrell, at a traffic stop in Baton Rouge, both are charged with two counts of felony injury to a child and will be brought back to Houston uh, for a uh, charges and ultimately a, a trial if necessary. Now, both Duncan and Terrell have been uh, jailed pending extradition. Duncan is scheduled for an extradition hearing. The twins have been hospitalized that are in custody of the Child Protective Services. At least five other siblings were rescued uh, by the police, one of whom was still with Duncan and Terrell. The woman eventually found the twins, a single mother, uh, at home with her daughter was also uh, went identified, saying that she discovered them uh, in appalling shape. Uh, Duncan is currently listed in the Baton Rouge prison on charges of being a fugitive. Terrell's whereabouts are unknown at this time. Obviously, he's under arrest, while the other uh, four children have been uh, placed with relatives. Uh, police did set off an Amber Alert for the twins' five other siblings who were uh, found safe uh, in Louisiana uh, with other family members. Police believe that they may even have another child, an 18-year-old boy, that uh, his whereabouts are unknown. Next, the government responds to Alex Murdoch's motions. As you may recall, Alex Murdoch, you know, he's been uh, charged with the uh, two counts of homicide, uh, specifically murder, and uh, two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime in connection with the June 7th, 2021 shooting of his wife, uh, Maggie Murdoch, and their son, uh, Paul Murdoch. Uh, they were killed at the uh, family's uh, Mosul estate, a little hunting uh, lodge that they called it, 1,700 acres, because, you know, everybody has one of those. Some of the motions filed by the defense the other day, and we talked about them in our uh, video over the last couple of days. Well, the government has responded. Uh, specifically, when they addressed the uh, motions filed by the defense that uh, alleging that the uh, Curtis Eddie Smith had failed a polygraph examination administered by law enforcement agencies probing regarding the murders of uh, Murdoch's wife and younger son. And according to Mr. Murdoch's attorneys, uh, Smith's response to questions about his knowledge and potential involvement in the double homicide indicated deception. Law enforcement's uh, confirmed uh, this account, which obviously makes it uh, some big news. Now, the prosecution responded as saying basically the motion was completely inflammatory, arguing that Mr. Murdoch's motion was clearly just trying to prejudice the reader with a recounting of inadmissible polygraphs and salacious scuttlebutt that is offensive to the memory of his victims. Uh, specifically, the prosecutor noted in regards to the polygraph examination itself, in addition to discussing the inadmissibility of the exam, Waters claimed uh, that the attorneys for Mr. Uh, Murdoch misled how the polygraph works and tried to clear that up, stating that the polygraph machine is not a lie detector, 
nor does the operator who interprets the graphs detect lies. Rather, the machine records physical responses from which an examiner may draw somewhat subjective inferences about whether the examinee is being deceptive or otherwise motivated by a sense of guilt or some other emotion. The prosecution disputed the inference made by Mr. Murdoch's legal team that a visible spike in a photo taken from the exam was indicative of a deceptive response. It appears, according to the uh, prosecution, that uh, Murdoch's experienced team of defense lawyers do not understand how polygraphs work or they are vastly overstating their point to this court and for the public consumption. Those are the only two choices, according to the prosecutor. And even if the polygraph did mean what Mr. Murdoch tries to mislead the reader into believing, nothing about that would exclude Mr. Murdoch as the perpetrator of the crime. The prosecutor, like all good prosecutors, then notes, the overwhelming weight of the evidence to be put forth at trial will show the defendant, Alec Murdoch, murdered his wife and son with malice aforethought. Now, addressing the latter assertions, uh, the prosecutor noted in the state's response, the defense incorrectly asserts the state has not provided any information about the time of the murders. As you may recall, Murdoch attorney said, hey, we need to know exactly what time this occurred because we otherwise we just can't provide an alibi, you know, because I mean, there's, you know, 24 hours in a day. Where were you all day long? You know, you got to know these things. And so the prosecutor responded, quote, this is not true. He wrote, the fact that Maggie and Paul were killed at uh, Mosul on June 7, 2021, might be one of the most well-known facts in the state. If the defense needs further help for a start time, there is evidence of which the defense is well aware showing Murdoch's presence along with the victim at the crime scene at 8.44 p.m. Bam! Ooh, what a response. So it looks like the defense motion to try and uh, create some doubt, at least in the court of public opinion, hmm, may not uh, be getting the bang for their buck, that's for sure. Now, that motion did not elaborate as to what evidence uh, may have been established as to this start time, uh, but there has been some information, some reports that there was perhaps a video or some type of audio recording as well. So, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting case. I know some people aren't excited about it, but I'm telling you, I think it's going to be big, huge. Continue to follow it. All right, let's talk about this guy. He is quite a catch. No, no, he's not. I'm being very facetious when I say that. This guy is a thug, and he should have gone to prison, but he didn't. He caught himself a huge break. An Austin man took a plea deal with the Travis County uh, district attorney on Monday, which will keep him from serving jail time after brutally beating his pregnant girlfriend so bad that she lost her baby. Please meet Johnny Charles Ebbs V. Yeah, he took the plea deal to serve eight years on probation for a third-degree continuous family violence assault charge, and if he completes the probation and doesn't violate any of the conditions of that probation, the charge will be dissolved. That's commonly referred to as a deferred judgment. So back in March of 2019, Austin uh, police received a report from a woman in the St. David's North Austin Medical Center who said she was the victim of an assault by Mr. Ebbs. The victim, identified as LaShonda Lemons, said that she had been in an on-again, off-again relationship with Mr. Ebbs over the past 10 years. At the time of the assault, Mr. Lemons was 32 weeks pregnant 
and Lemons told police that Ebbs accused her of cheating, leading to the beating, resulting in the baby's loss and significant injuries. Lemons also said that Ebbs grabbed her by the hair, threw her to the ground, and began punching her in the stomach. She apparently tried to escape through a window from a second-story residence, which resulted in Ebbs threatening to push her if she put one foot through the window. Now, Lemons ultimately made her way to the stairs, but Ebbs continued to slap her stomach multiple times with an open hand. After the assault, Miss Lemons couldn't feel her baby move anymore. She later learned the attack caused fatal injuries to the unborn infant. Now, during the hearing Monday, uh, Lemons read an impact statement aloud, and while looking at Ebbs, she recalled the brutality that she endured. Um, what do you do? Why? Why? You have a cooperative victim, and they're making deferred judgment. He's a woman beater. He's a wife beater. Are you serious? Come on. We're not talking have a little dispute. People argue. That is way out of line. That's like go to jail, go to prison type of conduct. Just call it the way I see it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hopefully, Miss Lemons never goes back to see Mr. Ebbs because he's not somebody that anybody should be in a relationship with. Just saying. Next, be aware of the ones who want to be near the children. You've heard it here first. You've heard it here many times here in Crime Talk and just telling you, be afraid. So a candidate for an Arizona college governing board has slammed the brakes on his campaign after police allegedly caught him red-handed pleasuring himself in a truck near a preschool. Randy Kaufman announced that he was suspending his campaign for a seat on the Maricopa County Community College Governing Board two weeks after he was cited for public sexual indecency. I mean, jeez. It sounds like he may be well qualified to be a politician. I don't know. So according to uh, the uh, police reports, Mr. Coppin was seated in his Ford truck parked near Wurtzy Preschool and Child Care Center in Surprise, Arizona, where kids were apparently outside playing on October 4th. Mr. Kaufman, allegedly watching, no, well, she had according to the police description in the police report, uh, this is while he was on his cell phone, also while he was pleasuring himself with his pants down to his thighs. Now, the uh, police officer on routine patrol drove up and noticed Mr. Kaufman was parked in an unusual manner across three spaces. The officer went to investigate, catching Mr. Kaufman red-handed, embarrassed, obviously. Mr. Kaufman quickly pulled up his pants and apologized to the officers, admitting, quote, that he had really effed up. Under some police questioning, Mr. Kaufman said he was stressed out and had pulled into the parking lot to, you know, relieve his tension. When the officers uh, noted kids uh, were playing nearby, Kaufman said he was only in the area to buy something. Uh, well, Mr. Coffin was cited for public sexual indecency instead of being arrested. He was also ordered not to trespass on the premises. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why do they always have to do it near the kids? I just don't get it. Next, a, uh, this is a technique to keep the police away. A Massachusetts woman faces charges after she allegedly tried using beehives to attack sheriff deputies during an eviction. Now, According to a press release by the Hampton County Sheriff's Department, on October 12th, at about 9.15 a.m., 
55-year-old Rory Susan Woods of Hadley pulled up to an ongoing eviction in a blue Nissan Xterra. Woods left her dog in the car and immediately went to the beehives behind uh, her vehicle. And apparently they're being towed and tried to open the lids to unleash the bees. Woods was one of several protesters who had gathered outside the $1.5 million house to prevent the eviction of homeowner Mr. Alton King Jr. Police said a deputy tried to stop Woods, but she made the bees angry and they started to circle the area. Woods then allegedly smashed the lid and flipped a hive off the flatbed, which made the bees even more aggressive. The bees stung several officers and bystanders who were watching nearby. Control those bees. Now Woods put on a professional beekeeper suit to protect herself, then carried a tower of bees near the home's front door to try and stop the eviction, which had been stop and go for nearly two years. At the front door of the home, she tried to, to agitate the bees more, according to the police, and uh, she was ultimately arrested by deputies and booked into the Western Massachusetts Regional Women's Correctional Facility. And she's been charged with assault and battery by means of a dangerous weapon. Three counts of assault by means of a dangerous weapon and disorderly conduct. It's the first time I think I've ever seen bees. I've seen deadly weapons described obviously as, you know, the, the obvious guns, knives, bludgeons, pillows, shoes. But bees, that's a first for me. Okay, let's just say that this is... How do I want to say this? Jeffrey Dahmer Light, maybe? Please meet Mark Latunsky. Now, we brought you this story way back when it happened. Well, he has ultimately pled guilty, uh, and now it's up to a judge to determine whether the death of uh, Kevin Bacon in 2019 was first-degree murder or any other type of higher homicide, a lesser-concluded offense. Well, the court found that the uh, crime of cold calculation and that uh, Kevin Bacon's death was uh, Mr. Latunsky's design. Now, first-degree murder carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison. The next hearing is set for December 15th. Now, this is where it gets really weird. And if you, like I said, I mentioned Dahmer, the coincidences are, well, just a little too weird. Now, police said Latunsky admitted to killing Mr. Bacon, whom he had met through the dating app Grindr. Now, I don't know if this is his profile picture here or not, Mr. Latinsky. But the chaps, I guess they're working for him. I guess it works. Anyway, and um, apparently he was maybe eating some body parts as well uh, in the uh, town of Bennington, which is about 90 miles northwest of Detroit. Now, Latinsky initially was found incompetent to stand trial, but that status changed after they drugged him up, gave him some mental health treatment. Now, defense attorneys um, said that the first-degree murder didn't fit the case and that she noted that Latinsky allowed police inside the home knowing that Mr. Bacon's body, wait for this, was hanging from the ceiling in a secret room in the basement on December 28th, four days after friends and family had last seen him alive. As I stated, the two had met on Grindr, which is described on its website as the world's largest social networking app for gay, bi, trans, and queer people. In September, a court video taken um, shows Mr. Latinsky admitting to the events, including the gruesome and inhumane acts that followed the, the murder. And the uh, questions, did you use the knife to stab Mr. Bacon? The prosecutor asked Mr. Latinsky, uh, did you know the stabbing Mr. Bacon with a knife 
would most certainly create a very high risk of death or great bodily harm or injury to Mr. Bacon. Yes, I did, the self-proclaimed cannibal responded. Mr. Latinsky shared in court that he stabbed Bacon in the back of his home, uh, catching his date by surprise. And uh, after Mr. Bacon was deceased, uh, he was asked questions about, did you remove parts of his body, specifically his testicles? Did you move those testicles to the kitchen? Mr. Latinsky responded, yes. Now, before pleading guilty, Latinsky was scheduled to stand trial this month. The guilty plea came as a shock to some, including uh, Mr. Latinsky's own legal counsel, who had been hoping to use an insanity defense during the trial. Now, shortly after Latinsky was arrested, police shared that it hadn't been the first encounter with this Michigan man, because in October of 2019, a man visiting Michigan from New York called law enforcement as he was running away from Latinsky's home after allegedly waking up in the basement. 911 calls uh, retrieved showed two different men on two separate occasions reaching out to police asking for help to get away. The men stated on, or one man stated on the 911 call, I want you to know I've never ever had anything like this happen. I don't know if he drugged me. All I know is I ended up locked in the freaking basement, uh, chained in the basement, the man said in October of 2019. A uh, police report indicated that on November 25th of 2019, Latinsky was stopped by officers as he attempted to chase another man down the street wearing nothing but a kilt. At the time, the man he was chasing told the officer that he had fled from Latinsky's house fearing that the 52-year-old was going to hold him against his will, chained up in his basement, saying, quote, I'm trying to get away from some creepy guy, the caller told the dispatcher. He had me tied up in the basement. Just saying, Dahmer light? I mean, I wonder if there's how many more. If you saw the Dahmer stuff, you know, he would drug them, take them back to his place, and do terrible things to them and slice and dice and dissolve and all these other things. This guy hanging him upside down in a secret room because that's normal. Wow. Anyway, finally, how about something a little less serious? How about our dumb criminal of the day? So for some unexplained reason, a wanted man was covered head to toe in black paint when uh, California police officers apprehended him last week. Police had been looking to arrest Rufus Barron on an outstanding warrant when his mother actually called police to report that her son was asleep in her home in Madera, which is a city in California, I guess Central California. And when the officers arrived at the residence about 1.30 a.m. on Tuesday, they discovered Barron coated in black paint. Now, Barron would not say how he came to be so covered or why. Um, a search of uh, Barron's uh, possessions uh, turned up a glass smoking pipe containing some methamphetamine. Perhaps that would help explain it. Police suspect that uh, Barron may have uh, been on a meth bender. Duh. Barron is also being held in the county jail on multiple charges, including possession of a controlled substance violating parole, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Now, you can go ahead and paint yourself any color you want, but man, that's going to take forever to come off. Ooh, could you imagine? Look how covered he is. I mean, you have to scrub with like a wire brush to get that off of him. Anyway, 
Thanks for watching. I hope you have a great day, not just a good day, and we'll see you next time on Crime Talk.